We're in the middle of a series called, um, what is it? Seven and a half minutes to a rock song. We're going to talk about that. See, because Jesus one time stood up. It's early in his ministry. He hadn't even called all of his disciples yet, but he pulled all of the people together and they're talking and he looks out. There's this huge crowd and he, he jumps up and he sees everybody and then you know what he does? He sits down. Why does he sit down? Because back then, if you're going to say something important, you would sit. Today, if you're going to say something important, you stand behind a pulpit or something like that. Back then, you would sit. So Jesus sits down and everybody goes, wow, boy, this is going to be important. And he preaches what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And these words are so important. What he says to them is so important that he ends the entire Sermon on the Mount this way. He says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, in other words, whoever listened to this sermon and then does it, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. It wasn't the strength of the foundation that saved that house. It was what it was built on. A strong foundation on weak soil won't save your house. A strong foundation in the words of Jesus Christ will make you rock solid. Then he also said this, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and and it fell with a great crash. So we're calling this whole series Seven and a Half Minutes to a Rock-Solid Life because you can, taking your time, you can read the Sermon on the Mount in how long? Seven and a half minutes. If I'm reading at my normal speed, I can do it in four minutes. If I'm, I'm kind of slowing it down, it takes about six. If I really just take my time and think, it's about seven and a half minutes. It's amazing to think that Jesus preached such short sermons and how important they were. And here we are preaching such long sermons. And you still don't remember them, do you? There's the difference between the master and the student. Seven and a half minutes. To a rock-solid life. Okay? He starts the sermon by confronting the values that they were brought up with, because that's the, what we call the Beatitudes, because he knows this. Oh, by the way, wait a minute. Could we read this together? We, we need to do this every week. This is a good reminder. I can read the Sermon on the Mount in seven and a half minutes, but to be rock-solid, I have to put it into practice every day. Do you understand why that's up there? You may think that all you got to do is read the sermon and know the sermon and understand the sermon and that makes you rock solid. It doesn't. It isn't what you know. It's what you do. Jesus said, if you, if you hear these words and put them into practice, your life will be rock solid. I want you to read I want you to read this. As a matter of fact, if you're already bored with the sermon, read the Sermon on the Mount. Pull out a Bible. Matthew chapter 5. You can read it three or four times in this sermon right here. Great stuff. Read it. Read it. But what do you do with it? When we're all done here on a Sunday morning, what do you do with it? Does it change anything in your life? It's not what you know. It's what you do. He starts this whole sermon by confronting the values changing the values that they were brought up with, which is the place that, we're, that we've started a few weeks ago. Changing those values, because he knows this. Ready? You've seen this every week. You're going to see it again. You can't build a rock-solid life 
on the values of the world. And some of you are trying. Some of you, your life is falling apart. And you don't know why. It's because you've built, or trying to build, a solid life on the values of the world. And the values of the world are shifting sand. You build on that, and your house will fall. So the very first thing he's got to do is change that. You know why this is true, by the way? Why is it true that, that you can't build a rock-solid life in the visor? Well, here's why. God even tells us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He says, I don't think like you. God isn't just a glorified human being. He's God. And the way that he thinks and what's important to him is so different than us. What he wants to do is get us to understand how important that is and to begin to build our life, not on our values or the way we think, but on his values and the way he thinks. That's the secret to a rock-solid life. So he starts by taking eight cherished values and stands them on their heads. He does that in what we call the Beatitudes. And really it's all about winners and losers. Do you consider yourself a winner or a loser in life? Do you identify with um, Charlie Brown? Or do you identify with, I don't know, some, who's, who's, who's a big winner these days? I don't know. Are you a winner? Or are you, Charlie Sheen is a winner. Okay. Marv, that tells us so much about your values right there. We have a spot reserved for you at the altar when this is all done. Oh yeah, that's right, that's what he said, that, no. You know, because that's what he's talking about is, is a blessed life. Who has a blessed, or if you want to use the, the religious term, blessed? Okay, either one. Who has that blessed life? Do you ever look out there and you see people that you think are blessed? I do it every time I go past uh, some big marina down by the, the ocean, and I look out there and I see these boats. And some of these boats are they're worth more than everything I own. If you sold everything I own, I still couldn't buy one of those boats, and it's a plaything. And, and I begin to think to myself, man, that, what would it be like to have that much money? These people are really blessed. Look at all they have. The powerful have their perks. They're blessed. And the little people, the ones, those schmucks of the world that have to work every day just to earn enough money to pay the bills and sometimes even that doesn't work are they blessed we would say you know what they're not the blessed people are the rich people the powerful people look at how their life is blessed and Jesus turns it all on their head and says they're not blessed you're blessed and you can imagine these people, because remember, the people that are listening to him, these are the workers. They, they, they don't have refrigerators. They don't have big stores and stuff. they got one set of clothing. They work every day for just enough food and just enough stuff to live that day. They're the ones who are sitting and listening to Jesus, and Jesus looks at them and says, you think those people are blessed? Do you think the rich people are blessed? You don't understand it. They're not blessed at all. You are. Because the real winners in this world, well, that's you if you want to be. Only here's the way he put it. Ready? Let's read them together. This time, uh, last time we said blessed, didn't we? That was the religious way. Today we'll just use the word blessed. How's that? Ready? Number one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in every one of those, the whole crowd will go, Wow! I thought it was the Romans who were blessed. I thought it was the rich people. You mean it's people like me? And Jesus would say, Yep. Yep. Whoever wins in this world over loses this world probably aren't the ones that you think. Certainly not who the world says will win and lose. So we started to look at these beatitudes almost from a worldly point. If the world was going to write beatitudes, they would look like this. Ready? The world's first beatitude is this. Blessed are the self-confident, for they will achieve their dreams. You've got to believe in yourself strongly. You go out there and you get those self-confidence classes because that's what it takes to move ahead. But here's God's truth. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or in other words, this. The only way to really win is to put your confidence in Jesus. It's not confidence in you that will turn you into a winner. It's trusting in Jesus Christ and only Jesus. The world's second beatitude. Blessed are those who never suffer loss, for they will always be happy. God's truth is this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Or in other words... Winners know that happiness is found not in the absence of sorrow, but in the presence of God. See, the world says happiness is when everything is going well in your life. And Jesus says, no. Happiness is when you know God. When God is with you, whether things are going well. And didn't we just sing that song, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord? It doesn't matter what's going on. There's an old hymn that is actually the same thing. It's just an old hymn. That's called, what, do you know the hymn I'm talking about? It is well with my soul when peace like a river descends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot. That was taught me to say it is well with my soul. It doesn't matter what happens. Happiness isn't things. It isn't the absence of sorrow. Happiness, Happiness is the presence of God. Are you living in the presence of God every single day? Then you can know joy. Even when things aren't going your way. The world's third beatitude, blessed are the aggressive go-getters, for they will push their way to the top. Hey, blessed are those people that, man, they're just driven. God's truth is blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Those people who are willing to climb over other individuals just to achieve. That may be the way to get wealth. That may be the way to get power. But it doesn't get you anywhere in the kingdom. Because this is the truth. Those who learn to put other people first find out that eventually they win it all. Oh, it's true. If you want to win success here on this planet, then yeah, you climb over people and just push. But all that you're going to win will fall away one day. And all those people you jumped over, all those people who trust Jesus Christ, they'll win it all. They get everything. And you get nothing. The world's fourth beatitude. Blessed are those who are focused on achieving their dreams, who are driven, who hunger and thirst for success, for they will attain them and be happy. You're told that. You've got to hunger. You want something that doesn't have to be uh, all that money. It could be anything. It could be anything that you're driven for, something that's important to you, and you, you put a picture of it up on your refrigerator. That's what you're told to do, and you hunger and you thirst for that thing, and you're driven for it. And you'll make it, and then you'll be happy. Well, maybe you'll make it, but I'll tell you this, even if you make it, it won't bring you happiness 
Because this is God's truth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be satisfied. See, the truth is this. Winners are focused on becoming righteous by faith. Because it's the only thing that really satisfies. And you've got to get that truth in there. Other things are nice. They're fun. They're good. But only a relationship with God. Only a relationship that changes us into the type of people we're supposed to be. That is the only thing that satisfies because it's what you were created for. You were not created to be rich. You were not created for perfect health. You were not created to attain and to gain. You were created to know God by faith. And when you find Him, the whole purpose of your life comes together. Ready to move on. Now, that's just all the recaps. And if you want to see those sermons, you can check out the, the DVDs. We're actually going to start putting these online for you. So if those of you who are online, a little podcast or whatever, you can go back and pick up anyone you want to. But now we're going to move forward, okay? Now we're the new Beatitudes we haven't looked at. Here's the world's fifth Beatitude. It looks like this. Blessed are those who crush their opponents, for they will win it all. Crush them. How many of you remember the original Karate Kid? Anybody here that ever watched that movie? Yeah, wax on, wax off, you know, paint the fence, that sort of thing. Remember that? Do you remember the, uh, the motto of, was it the Cobra Kai? That was the, uh, the dojo that he was up against, the Karate Kid and Mr. Miyagi. Do you remember, what was their motto? Mercy is for the weak. No mercy. Because mercy is for the weak. Woe. Rome was like that. See, the culture in which Jesus is speaking and that group of people that he was talking to understood Rome, and Rome showed no mercy. If you wanted to go up against Rome, what would they do to you? How would they crush you? It's called crucifixion. They didn't crucify common criminals. Even those two thieves hanging on the cross were not common criminals. You know how we know that? Because they were crucified. If they were common criminals, there was a different punishment. You saved the crucifixion for people who were a threat to Rome. Those people who rebelled. And they would capture them. And they wouldn't just execute them, they would crucify them and put them on display for weeks at times so that everybody that went by knew that's what happens if you go against Rome. What was it that the chief priest said to Pilate that finally allowed him to put Jesus on the cross? Because he didn't want to do it at all. What did they say? Do you remember? It's in John. You see, the Jews wanted him crucified because he was full of blasphemy, so they said. He was blasphemous. But Romans are going to crucify somebody for blasphemy. They don't care about blasphemy. They're only going to crucify someone who's a threat. What was it that the chief priest said to Pilate just before he ordered him crucified that changed Pilate's mind? Bingo, there it is. What is it? 
If you don't crucify him, then you are no friend of Caesar. We'll tell on you, Pilate. We will go because Jesus calls himself a king. That's rebellion. And if you let that stand, we're going to go straight to Rome and let them know. And it was then that Pilate said, take him away. You crush your enemies. You destroy them. Here's God's truth, though. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Jesus said, Rome's wrong. The powers that crush you are wrong. That's not how you win. See, he said two things to them, really. He said, first of all, I want you to be merciful, but he also said something about Rome. He just said to them, you know what, don't worry about Rome. Don't worry about Rome. Rome's going to fall. To those who are merciful, they'll be shown mercy, but Rome isn't merciful. So guess what's going to happen? And guess what did happen? You know, all these people that Jesus talked to, those people who received him, they're right now alive with Jesus Christ and will be forevermore. Where's the Roman Empire? Crushed. Did God show it any mercy? None at all. It's been gone for 1,500 years. Because blessed are the merciful. They will receive mercy. You see, it's just this way. Winners know that in the end, you get what you give. What do you want from God? I mean, when it's all done, when it's all over with, what do you want from Him? Listen to these words of Jesus. He said, So in everything you do to others, do to others what you would have done to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Do you know what he mean by the law and the prophets? When he said the law and the prophets, what did he mean? When he said the law and the prophets, what did he mean? The Bible! That's what they called it. The law and prophets. Jesus said, do you want me to sum up the Bible for you? It's simply this. Would you please treat other people the way you want to be treated? Now, have you ever thought of summarizing the Bible like that? Jesus did. What do you want from God? Well, whatever you want, you better be willing to give. See, I've told you this, and it's an amazing and at the same time a kind of a terrifying truth. But here it is. You want to write this down somewhere in your notes, you certainly can. We get to write our own rules of judgment. Did you know that? You are right now in your life writing your very own rules of judgment. God will take the rules that you use and turn them right back on you. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about that because Jesus comes back to the subject time and time again in the Sermon on the Mount. But it's very true. Whatever you use to look at, judge, and the way you treat other people, you are actually saying to God, please use those same rules Judge me accordingly and treat me just like that. This is what the Bible says. Speak and act as though we're going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. That's kind of interesting, the law that gives freedom. We, have, we don't have time to talk about that one this morning. That's a whole other sermon. 
Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Would you read this with me? Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Okay, now, that's okay. That's good. The next part, when you read it, let it sink in. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs. What kind of person are you? That's a rhetorical. I didn't expect you to answer that one. Sometimes I want you to answer. Please don't answer that one, okay? Are you kind and loving, compassionate and merciful? Then I can tell you what you'll get back from God. You'll get kindness and love and mercy and compassion. Are you judgmental, angry, just, hard, harsh? In your business dealings, do you crush your competitors? Because after all, it's not personal, it's what? It's just business. In your personal relationships, are you stern? Spare the rod and spoil the child. We'll beat them into submission, that's what we'll do. Or are you kind? Leaving the harsh approach only when absolutely necessary. When you are wronged, do you cry out for justice? Be careful. Because the very last thing in this world you want is justice. Trust me, you don't want justice. Because if what we get from God is justice, where will each one of us spend eternity? I'm so glad you knew that answer. If God gives me what I deserve, I go to hell for all eternity. What I want from Him is mercy and grace, forgiveness and pardon. And therefore, I better be willing to give what? Mercy and grace, forgiveness and and pardon. I've got some bad news for some of you. Your Father in Heaven is watching and He will treat you exactly the same way you are treating people around you. But you know what? I've got some good news. Your Father in Heaven is watching and He will treat you exactly the way you treat others. Your choice. Move on. The world's sixth beatitude. Okay? Blessed are those who are dishonest and deceitful, for they will see success. From a very early age, we are taught by this world how to um, shade the truth, either to outright lie to get out from things, or to shade the truth in such a way that, that we can say the truth and yet not really tell the truth. We even have a name for it. It's called plausible deniability. Politicians love it. Because they're able to say something that's true, but they mean something else. And when we come back and say to them, but I thought you said, they'll say, well, no, I never said that. I didn't mean that. That was your problem. You read that into that. We are taught at a very... Have you ever dealt with a child? Sweet little children? Where did they learn to, where did they learn to lie like that? 
Where did they learn to be so deceitful? Could I tell you? Nobody had to teach them. It comes as standard equipment. We call it a sinful nature. And we're all born with it. Let me see if I can show you how it works. Um, I'm a student of history. You know that. I, I love history. I love to read all that stuff. And, and um, I don't know if you're aware, but in 1857, you know lots of little towns in, in New York, in, in New Rochelle, New York, I was reading about New Rochelle in 1857. I'm not certain that you were aware of this one because it's kind of, a lot of people don't realize it. But something happened that summer of 1857 and every single person who drank the water of the city of New Rochelle died. Do you know that? Everyone. Give me some reasons why that could be true. Poison? No. What? What? Bad water in a well? No. They died because it was 1857. It was 160 years ago. Of course they died. I never said they died from drinking the water. But it is true. Every single person who drank the water in New Rochelle, New York in 1857 died. Eventually. Would I make a good politician or what? I'm announcing my candidacy. Do you see how it works? Deceit. Dishonesty. The truth. But truth told in such a way that I make you think something else. And then when you come back, I go, I didn't mean, I didn't say that. Let's go back to what I said. 1857, summer, water, people drank it, everybody died. True. Absolutely true. Deceitful. And if you're going to make it in the world, that's what you got to do. If you're going to be a salesman, don't tell them the whole truth. Part of the truth. If you want to get out from some of the problems that you've done, some of the things you've done wrong, just tell enough truth to make you look really good. You have to be deceptive and dishonest if you want to see success. But this is God's truth. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You see, Jesus tells us that there's something infinitely better than seeing success. And you know what it is? It's seeing God. Now, if what you want to do is see success, then yeah, you better hone those skills. But what if you just want to see God? then the very things that we use to see success, we have to put those aside because it is a pure heart that allows us to see success. You see, Jesus says this. This is what he's really saying. Blessed people who let God change them from the inside out ultimately see the greatest thing of all. And what is the greatest thing of all? One more time. What is the greatest thing of all? Seeing God. What is the greatest thing of all? God. One more time. What is the greatest thing of all? God. How badly do you want to see him?
something has to change in your heart if you want to see him. Because it's the pure in heart who see God. Look at this passage. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and what? Pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. He will receive blessing. The blessed person. Blessed are those who have a pure heart for they will see God. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him. Who seek your face, O God of Jacob. The greatest thing in this world is seeing God. The greatest thing that can happen to you is one day when you die, and you will die, is to stand and look into the face of the Father that you love. The worst thing that can happen to you is to die, and you will die. And look up into a face of someone that you've rejected your whole life. Just to gain the things you had to leave behind. It's the pure heart that gives us the greatest gift we can possibly know. Standing before our Father, looking up into His smiling, loving face. There's two steps to a pure heart. If you're going to have this pure heart, there's two things that have to happen. First of all, is our part. Ready? Here it is. Make seeking God our first and highest priority. Now, this is the part that we mess up on. Because some people don't want to seek God at all. Some people want to seek God and maybe just in the next life. I've got relatives like that. They, they know they want to be with God, but not now. They just figure that they'll do it in the next life. Bad decision, guys. Very bad decision. Some people want him here, but only in addition to other things. It's, it's all that I have plus God. That, those are the people who want to find out where God fits into their life. Okay? Here's my life. It's all the things that I've got, and now I want God into my life won't work. God is bigger than your life. He doesn't fit. Some people have learned to make him the only worthwhile goal. Now there are other goals in life, but the highest and the most important and the really worthwhile goal is to seek and find God. This is what scripture says. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, I think that's in your, your little outline. Would you circle the word all, underline it, star it, do something? You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your heart. You will seek me and find me when you, find, when you seek me with your mind. It doesn't say those things. It says when you seek me with all. You know, one of the reasons many people don't find God, right there, It's not all their heart. This is what James says. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Do you see the connection there between purifying your hearts and double-minded? What he means is a double-minded man is someone who, who has two things. You're going in two directions at once. Okay, that's double-minded. Somebody like that can't have a pure heart. You want a pure heart? It's a single-minded, and that is God. I want God. I just want God. Now, I'm learning in my whole life to do that. For me to stand up to you right now as your pastor and say, Oh, 
I seek him with all my heart. Sometimes. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I want God so desperately. I seek him with every fiber of my being. And there are other times that I just don't. My father loves me and he knows all of this about me and he's in the process of changing my heart because you see the second part of a pure heart is this. It's his part. He forgives our sin and fills us with his spirit. You cannot clean up your own heart. All you can do is desire God above everything else and then God moves in. And when God moves in, He cleanses the heart, changes it. And you know how he keeps it clean and changed? He fills it with something else. Actually, he fills it with someone else. Who? The Holy Spirit. Psalm 51. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew that steadfast spirit in me. What are you really seeking? What do you really want? Who do you want to see? Success? Then the best way to do that is to be a little deceitful, a little white lies here, kind of work your way to the top. Or do you want to see God? If you want to see God, it's a two-step process. First, Decide to seek Him above all else. Ask Him to forgive, to cleanse, and to fill. And then one day when you die, and you will die, you will glimpse and see and live with the greatest thing, the greatest person, the greatest one in all the universe, God, if that's your heart's desire. And again, you get to choose. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. People who let God change them from the inside out ultimately see the greatest thing of all. Father, your son spoke these words to us, and um, I imagine as people were listening to these words, they were amazed. As a matter of fact, at the very end of this, it says they were amazed because he spoke with authority. But, Father, we're all in the process of having to unlearn some things that we have been that's been shoved down our throats our whole lives in, in the world in which we live and in, in the culture of lies in which we live. Father, thank you for our country. Thank you for the culture. We appreciate what you've given to us, but we understand that it's not righteous and can lead us away from you. Father, our desire is to be brought closer to you. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for us so that we can come closer to the Father, so that we, we can know God. But the biggest problem we're facing, Jesus, is that we know these words, we're just not doing them. So here's the prayer right now, as we get ready to close. That we would not just simply hear these things, 
But this week, change some things. And so, Spirit, we're going to give you just a moment. Before we continue with this service, we want to give you this time. It's quiet. You are here. You know, Father, how we act. You know what we seek. You know what's of value in our lives. Father, are we people of mercy? Looking back over this last week, maybe even the last 24 hours, Father, have we been shown to be people of mercy and grace? Or is there still a harsh, judgmental, critical spirit that needs to be dealt with? We want to change that right now. And Father, you know who we really seek and what we really seek. I want to thank you for the people who are seeking you and other things because at least they're seeking you. But now work within their hearts, my heart as well, to seek you first and foremost above all things. So Jesus, because of your death on the cross, we give you our sin. Forgive it. Spirit, we give you our hearts. Cleanse them. Fill us. Jesus, thank you so much. Because your promise is you will do exactly that if people ask. And regardless of what happens in this world, we may not see success. We may not see perfect health. We may not see all of our dreams come true, Jesus, but we will see you. Oh, Father, I pray that that would make our hearts leap for joy at the thought of one day seeing you. All the people said, Amen and Amen.